The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Doing well? Uh, Well, as Pastor Blair said, we're going to be in the book of Philemon this morning, so if you can find Philemon, uh, go ahead and turn there. If you are with us, I guess it was close to a year ago, we were in the book of Titus, which is right in front of Philemon, so if you can find Titus, flip over and you'll find the book of Philemon. As you're turning there, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you some of the background on the letter here and the author, the Apostle Paul, uh, and kind of explain what he is writing about in this letter. So this is one of uh, the Apostle Paul, as I said, one of his uh, prison epistles, one of the letters that he wrote while he was imprisoned, this one specifically in Rome. And the Apostle Paul writes this letter to a man named Philemon, who is a member of the church in Colossae. And so he writes this letter to this man uh, because this man Philemon had a bondservant under his care who fled from Philemon and made his way to Rome. Somewhere along the way, the gospel was shared with this man who'd fled. His name was Onesimus, and he became a faithful follower of Christ. Uh, He was under the Apostle Paul's mentorship, and so, uh, small world, the Apostle Paul knows this man's owner back in Colossae because he has been to that church, Uh, and so he writes to this man Philemon, uh, urging him to reconcile with his now brother Onesimus. And so that's kind of where we find ourselves in this letter. Uh, That is uh, what we're going to be talking about today. And so uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to read through an entire book of the Bible today. Uh, So if you have never read an entire book of the Bible, today is the day when uh, you can check that off of your list. And so we're going to read through 25 verses. So if you would follow along with me as I read. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. 
Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word for God's people this morning. So as we look through this letter of Philemon, uh, we see here that reconciliation is a godly pursuit. Reconciliation is a godly pursuit. You may be thinking as I say that, well, I never even saw the word reconciliation in this letter. How could that be what this letter is about? While the word reconciliation is never found, that is the theme of this letter. As believers in Christ, reconciliation is what we do. Uh, The way that reconciliation would be defined by this letter, the way we can understand it by this letter, is to reunite two people to a better place than they were before. Uh, Oftentimes, forgiveness and reconciliation are used uh, kind of interchangeably. And while they're not the same thing, they often work together. They work hand in hand. Uh, Forgiveness is kind of the prerequisite of reconciliation. You cannot reconcile with somebody without first having forgiven them. And so uh, it's kind of a a two-way street. Uh, For reconciliation to work, both people have to be willing to make the effort to reunite uh, a relationship. And so now that we understand kind of what reconciliation looks like, uh, let's see how this letter teaches us about this being a godly pursuit. So the first thing that we see is that it is something that you should desire. And so if you look with me in verse 8, it says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Uh, So Paul here is making an argument that he uh, could very well command Philemon to reconcile with his brother Onesimus. He could charge the man to uh, reconcile uh, because of Paul's authority in their lives. Uh, And brothers and sisters, there is a time when uh, this is needed where a bold uh, command to uh, be obedient to God's word is very much needed uh, in another believer's life. Yet, Paul here in verse 9 says, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Uh, So rather than commanding them to do it and just being over with the whole matter, uh, he would rather appeal to love. And If you noticed in the beginning of this letter, uh, Paul has characterized Philemon as a man who uh, is known for his love. And so in verse four through five, uh, he writes, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have for the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. So the love of this man Philemon is something that is so great that Paul has heard about this man's love. Uh, It is a well-known thing that he loves uh, the Lord Jesus and the saints, his brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, And so he has heard of it, uh, but also if you look in verse 7, Paul writes, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. And so Paul here uh, not only has heard about the love of this man, but he has personally benefited from his love. And so uh, Philemon is a man who is characterized by his love. And so why is this significant? Why are we talking about this even? Uh, Well, love, if you remember, maybe you've heard this before. If you haven't, this will be a good uh, thing for you to know, is a fruit of the Spirit. And we list the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. Paul writes to a letter in Galatia listing out the fruits of the Spirit. These are characteristics 
uh, that are specific to a believer in Christ. And the very first one is love. They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I know it in a song, so it's hard for me to just say it and not sing it, but uh, it is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a characteristic of a believer. Uh, Paul is appealing to the man's uh, soul for his, uh, his desire for love because of what Christ has done in him. And so uh, for those of us who are being sanctified by Christ, uh, this is something we desire, reconciliation. Uh, for those of you who don't know a little bit about my uh, story, I grew up in Ohio until I was eight years old. Uh, we lived on a big farm. I don't know if you've ever heard the house. Uh, I don't know how it goes. My father's house, I think is what it's called. But it's come and go with me to my father's house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room, a big, big table with lots and lots of food. That was kind of my life growing up. I am one of 13 kids, and so we lived in a big, big farmhouse in Ohio. And uh, I loved the farm. Uh, me and my siblings had lots of fun there, running around and uh, climbing in the barns and the rafters and playing with the animals. And there is a limitless amount of things for an eight-year-old boy to get into trouble on a farm. And so I loved living on the farm. Uh, when I was probably six or seven years old, my uh, parents gave us the news that we were going to be moving to Texas. And so me and my sister, who is a year older than me, decided to come up with a plan to move the farm with us to Texas. And so uh, probably you guys are all, yeah, you're laughing because, yeah, you can't move a 44-acre across the country. But to me and my sister, this was something we were going to do. And so we were very convinced that we were going to move the farm to Texas with us. And so uh, this was not something that my sister had to command me to pursue this desire with her. Uh, but because I loved the farm, I wanted to see it come with us to Texas. And so much like my sister and my plan to move the farm across the country, as believers, reconciliation should be something that we desire. Uh, we should be compelled to see reconciliation come about by the same thing that compelled Paul, and that is love, um, because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Paul refers to um, Onesimus here in several verses. In verse uh, 10, I believe, he says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. He refers to him as his child, and later on he says he refers to Onesimus as his very heart. Uh, what kind of uh, affection must Paul have had for this man to refer to him in these terms? I would say very great affection, a great love for his brothers in Christ. Uh, this love and desire for reconciliation comes from Christ's work in us as believers. Uh, we know this is a godly pursuit because it stems from a God-given desire. Uh, Paul writes in his letters to the Colossians, uh, that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, if we love the Lord as well as our brothers and sisters, uh, that we find satisfaction in glorifying him through our obedience, and therefore we should desire to reconcile. Now, I want to give uh, a little warning here. Uh, if you are sitting here thinking, maybe you already have somebody in your mind who uh, you know that you need to seek reconciliation with, uh, and if you're thinking about that person and in your mind you're thinking, uh, there is no way I could ever reconcile with this person. I don't want to. Uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, then I would uh, encourage you to consider the Apostle Paul's warning to uh, his letter to the church in Corinth to 
examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. And we just walked through all how um, this is a desire that believers in Christ have. Uh, It is unavoidable as a believer in Christ that you should love your brothers and sisters and desire reconciliation. Uh, So if that desire is entirely absent, uh, then I say this not to discourage you, but to uh, hopefully see that you come to faith in Christ through this because uh, this is what the people of God desire. We desire to be reconciled with one another. I'm not saying that it will always be easy or it won't be painful and hurtful. Um, It may not even be possible. We talked about how it is a two-way street and requires both people um, but is something that we should desire. And so uh, love is the cause for this desire but love isn't the only reason Uh, we should pursue this godly pursuit of reconciliation, but also because it is beneficial to your faith. It is beneficial to your faith. Uh, We see this as we read through verses 10 and 16. Um, I want to give a little background, though, before we uh, touch some of this stuff. Uh, The name Onesimus is a Greek name, and it means profitable or useful. And so, Uh, Paul here, when he is writing verse 11 in the parentheses, uh, he is writing this letter uh, and using kind of a play on words. And so he writes, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And so remember that Onesimus means profitable or useful. And so you could almost read it, uh, He was once not Onesimus to you, but now he is indeed Onesimus to you and to me, right? And so he does this to emphasize the benefit of reconciling. Um, The man Onesimus is now useful. He is beneficial to reconcile with this man because he is a brother in Christ. Uh, And you may be thinking, why was Onesimus useless? Uh, Well, it was believed when Onesimus fled from Philemon's care. He may have stolen some property or some money from Philemon, And so he was a man who could no longer be trusted to work in Philemon's house. And so uh, he was, in a sense, useless as a worker. Um, But Paul makes an argument that he is not useful uh, necessarily as a worker, but better even. He is no longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, a beloved brother. And so uh, it is beneficial to reconcile because he is your brother in Christ. No longer just a worker, he is brother. And so um, he was so beneficial, in fact, that in verse 13, Paul even writes, he says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf. So Paul wanted to keep him with him even. He was so beneficial to the ministry that Paul had going on that he wanted to keep his brother with him. And so if you think back with me to my story I was telling before about moving the farm to Texas, uh, in my seven or eight-year-old brain, uh, moving the farm to Texas, would prove to be limitless in its benefits. Uh, I could have all the, the joys of living on the farm with all the land and the barns and stuff uh, all here with me in Texas. I wouldn't have to give any of it up. And it would be even better, in fact, because I would not have to deal with uh, Ohio winters. We could have even more time outside adventuring in the winter and getting into trouble. And so uh, to bring the farm would be uh, even better than it was before. Uh, there was a lot of benefit to be had. So in the same way that I saw benefit in moving the farm to Texas, uh, there is great benefit to be had in reconciling with our brothers and sisters. 
So uh, one of the ways is that we experience greater fellowship with the body. Uh, reconciliation promotes unity among brothers and sisters in Christ. And so uh, when reconciliation isn't happening in a body of believers, uh, prayer and edification are lacking. I'm gonna say that again. When reconciliation isn't happening, prayer and edification are lacking. Uh, when brothers and sisters are not uh, getting along, when they have not uh, rebuilt their relationships with one another and sought out reconciliation, uh, there is less prayer going on for brothers and sisters and there is less uh, mutual edification going on, encouragement in the Lord. And so uh, I'm gonna read a passage here in Ecclesiastes that talks about this. You may have heard this passage at a wedding or uh, something like that, uh, but I think it is applicable here. So in Ecclesiastes 4, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read verses 9 through 12. It says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so we see here in this passage in Ecclesiastes that we are better off together than we are alone. Uh, the body of Christ is meant to dwell in unity together. Uh, this is how uh, the Lord sanctifies us, is through our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we need our brothers and sisters to pray for us when we are discouraged. Uh, we need them to provide encouragement uh, to uplift our spirits and we need our brothers and sisters to rebuke us when we are walking in blatant sin. Uh, this is how sanctification happens. And so we talked earlier about how sometimes uh, reconciliation is difficult, uh, but there is benefit. But part of the difficulty of reconciliation can be that reconciliation comes at a cost. Uh, it will come at a cost. And so uh, in verses 17 through 20 here, uh, Paul here is appealing to the law. And so I want to explain really quick kind of uh, how Roman bondservanthood worked because it's a little different than how we understand slavery here uh, because uh, it's different than how slavery went here in the United States not that long ago. And so I just want to explain just to help us understand what's going on here. And so uh, oftentimes the way that this worked for bondservanthood is a man would either owe a debt to somebody else or have no land or business to provide for his family. And so he would go to a man who did have a business or land, and he would sell himself into bondservanthood. And so oftentimes it was for uh, a number of years, seven or more. Uh, and so uh, he would go and sell himself and work for that man for however long was agreed upon. And so uh, it is similar to signing a contract for a company to work for X amount of years with more strict guidelines than that. Not as easy to get out of, but um, for somebody who was a runaway, uh, a runaway bondservant, uh, they were uh, oftentimes punished by being put to death. It was very severe in the way that they dealt with them uh, in that matter, but also if you were somebody who aided a runaway bondservant, uh, then you were to pay back the owner for every day's wage lost. So we know that uh, Onesimus had fled all the way to Rome 
which is about 1,400 miles from Colossae. So we can imagine that Onesimus had been gone for a long time. Uh, And so Paul here in verses 17 through 20, uh, in 18 he writes, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. And so Paul here is offering to pay back, to make right what was wronged uh, for Onesimus to be paid off for. Uh, Paul adds an interesting detail even. He says, uh, I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. And in verse 19, sorry, he writes, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. And so that's an interesting thing to put in the middle of a letter, right? And so oftentimes the way that these letters worked and the way they were written is the Apostle Paul would actually just say what he was talking about and he would have somebody else write it down. And so Paul here writes that he writes it with his own hand. So why would he say that? Uh, he says it because now he has just made this statement that he will pay back Philemon a legally binding contract. He has signed the dotted line, so to say. And so now there's nothing standing in the way of Philemon collecting his money and making things right. And so why, why does Paul do this? Uh, we talked about how he is uh, 12 or 1400 miles away from Philemon and he is in prison. Uh, it's not like Philemon is going to go all that way to collect this money, right? And so he is safe, so to say. So why does he offer to pay back uh, Philemon? Well, first I would say uh, out of obedience to the authorities that are over him. Um, But second, uh, he wants to remove every barrier that stands in the way of the two brothers reconciling with one another. Uh, His love for these men and for Christ is so great that he would pay the high price in order to remove what is standing in the way to have them reconciled. And so let's think one more time to my story. Uh, we saw that it would be uh, very desirable and beneficial for me to have our farm moved across the country. Um, but the most obvious thing that probably you financially minded people are thinking is that that is going to be very, very expensive. Uh, it would come at a very high cost to move a 44-acre farm across the country to Texas. Uh, probably not even possible, but if it were, I can only imagine it would cost a large sum of money. Uh, so great a debt uh, that probably my parents would be in debt for the rest of their lives and then probably I would be in debt for the rest of my life. Uh, A debt that we could never repay. And so similarly, when it comes to reconciliation, uh, it will always cost you. And there are several ways that this could take effect on our lives. Uh, Maybe there is somebody who you need to seek reconciliation with who has hurt you. Uh, somebody that you uh, have been hurt by emotionally or physically or something. And in this case, to seek out reconciliation, uh, it could cost you emotionally. Uh, You could have to have conversations that things are brought up that you never thought you would have to talk about again or never have to hear about again, and it could be very painful, and it could cost you emotionally. Uh, Maybe you have a strained relationship with a family member that uh, you need to seek out reconciliation with, Uh, In this case, it could cost you your time. Uh, You may have to take the time out of your week to make some phone calls to them uh, multiple times, or you may even have to get on a plane and go see them and spend some time talking to them, working through things in order to reconcile. Or maybe today you are more like Onesimus, uh, and you are the one who has wronged a brother or sister in Christ. Uh, In that case, it will most definitely cost you your pride. Uh, You have to humble yourself, uh, go to that person. If forgiveness has not been 
already offered, remember that is a prerequisite to reconciliation, uh, then you need to seek forgiveness uh, and then you need to do whatever it takes to make things right. Remember how we talked about reconciliation is reuniting two people to a better place than they were before. Uh, so there may be things that you have to do in order to rebuild this relationship. And so as we talk about this, um, if thinking about the cost of reconciliation, as we talked about those things right now, uh, if that scares you, uh, then I think that we all need to be reminded that uh, reconciliation costs Christ more than it will ever cost any of us. And so uh, Christ paid for our reconciliation, our reconciliation to the Father with his blood. Uh, he paid by having his body beaten and broken on the cross. And he paid by having the wrath of the Father taken upon him uh, that should have been ours. And so uh, no longer are we who are in Christ dead, but we are alive. And we have Christ interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. We have the Spirit sanctifying us, and we have the Father holding us fast in his hand, never letting go. And so uh, I would say that we are far better off than we were before. And so in the same way that Philemon had every legal right to punish Onesimus, even put him to death, God has every right to punish sinners, even more so in fact. And so Christ, like Paul, stood in the gap. Uh, he paid the high price. He removed every ox obstacle uh, to have reconciliation come about. Uh, he paid the high price that we could not pay. And so for those of us who are in Christ, we are now reconciled to the Father. We have a new relationship with him, uh, Christ as our mediator. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. So Christ is our mediator, and through him we now have access to fellowship with the Father through the power of the Spirit. We can draw near to the throne of God uh, in confidence because of the work of Christ. And so... Uh, I want to say something, and this, as I say this, it may come as a shock to you. I hope it's not, but uh, I'm going to tell you, there is no one, as we've been thinking about this, maybe you're thinking through this, but there is no one who has ever wronged you or hurt you in a way that is worse than our sin uh, and the way it has affected Christ. And yet he saw our reconciliation. I'll say that one more time. That there is no one who has ever wronged you in a way that is worse than the sin we have committed against the Father, and yet he saw our reconciliation. And if that is surprising or shocking to you, maybe you're thinking, uh, you have no idea what this person did to me. Uh, you weren't there. You didn't hear the words they said. You didn't see the things that they did. Uh, and I would tell you, you are right. I do not know. I was not there. Uh, but I do know uh, what we have done to the one who created us. And so I'm going to read just one more passage real quick. Uh, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read in Jeremiah uh, chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 5 through 7 and then verse 13. Uh, and it says, Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthless and became worthless? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt and who led us in the wilderness in a land of deserts and pits? in a land of drought and deep darkness, and in a land that none passes through and where no man dwells. 
and I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. And then in verse 13, it says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Uh, Brothers and sisters, that is us. That is what we have done. We were created to glorify God. We were created uh, by the one who created all things to glorify him and to find our satisfaction and enjoyment in him. And yet we have turned away and found our own means of satisfaction apart from him. We have sought out uh, satisfaction in the world and in our own abilities, uh, and we have committed a great sin against the Father. And yet, he sought our reconciliation when we uh, hated and despised him. Uh, And so, as we talk about this, as we see reconciliation being a godly pursuit, as we see that Christ himself sought out our reconciliation, that we would be reconciled to the Father, and that we could have a relationship with God again, that we have Christ as our mediator who is interceding on our behalf, working to see um, brothers and sisters united uh, so that he would be glorified. Um, What excuse is there in neglecting this godly pursuit? Uh, Why would we delay in reconciling with our brothers and sisters even today, even as you sit here and think about that person you can't get out of your head now, that person who you need to uh, seek out forgiveness and then reunite uh, the relationship together to a better place. As you think about that person uh, and we remember what uh, Paul talks about here in Philemon, uh, why would we delay in reconciling? Uh, What excuse is there? And I would say, and I think that the Apostle Paul would agree with me uh, that there is none. There is no excuse uh, to neglect this godly pursuit. And so uh, I'm going to pray for us now uh, that we would be a people who do that. So let's pray. God, we thank you that you are uh, a great God.